Okay, yeah. cool. Melanie Weller. So good to I'm see ready. you. Thank you, Sanre. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's it's been about a year, right, since last time I saw you? I believe we talked, yeah, I can't remember if it was the end of last year or the beginning of this year, because mm-hmm. when you did a tarot reading for me, I know I followed up because I thought, because I had asked you if I was going to be traveling this year, and you said, no, the tarot cards don't really say that. <laughs> I think it was, uh, it was obviously very accurate. <laughs> yeah. I remember you were surprised. And I, I, As we're in 2020 with the pandemic. Yeah. 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 No, I haven't done age. I've really made a temple out of this room uh, this year. And I spent a lot of time in here meditating and lifting weights and, and just getting through it the best way I can. Yeah. So Melanie, you are an expert on one of my favorite topics, which is occult anatomy. And you are uh, specifically an expert in the vagus nerve, correct? Well, that was certainly the, um, yeah, well, I'm a physical therapist by conventional terms. And the vagus nerve has certainly been my portal to understanding occult anatomy. And I would contend that it's the it's the structure on which our, that holds our occult anatomy yes. that, that uh, binds it all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems to me, and you know, from the research I've done on the vagus nerve, that it's the physical manifestation of what we would call Kundalini energy and also the seven chakra system. Yes. I think it's the, um, I, I can see that. I talk about it a little bit more in terms of th- that it's like the Laniakea supercluster, that it's like an internal cosmology that holds, cool. uh, you know, and that it holds the chakra systems in the way that I see chakras as individual galaxies mm-hmm. within that supercluster. Our Milky Way galaxy is a little tiny uh dot in the Laniakea supercluster. That's fascinating. So one of the topics that I'm most passionate about and well really is just the term as above so below and all the different ways you can interpret that. And it's it's occurred to me as well and we were talking about this through text that the galaxies do represent especially a spiral galaxy which is spinning does represent Mm -hmm. the the typical or it resembles, I'm sorry, the typical um, spinning wheel design of a chakra, the, the image that you're Absolutely. sort of familiar mm-hmm. with, with the chakra, and that the galaxies of the universe could be the natty points of the universe, just like we have the 72,000 natty points within our own body. Absolutely. I haven't built out my system yet to that extent, but I think that's a very, very logical progression of it, where it started for me I've branded myself as a stress management expert for a long time and have uh, and I have branded myself around treating the vagus nerve as a pinch nerve. And I have this 
process now to evaluate and treat it in the body. And in the throes of my own midlife spiritual awakening, I ended up taking a couple steps back from my practice because I, you know, I had this very grounded practice. I have a lot of credentials. I have a lot of letters after my name that I've collected over the years, different credentials. And what part of what happened to me was I, I, I will tell you, I, in hindsight, I'll tell you, I've always been intuitive, but I thought my intuition and my logic were the same thing. Mm -hmm. I didn't really see them as, as different things. And in working, having my own practice and being in my own space, really almost like my old office was where all this started was almost like a trance room booth kind of thing. Like it had, it was an office in the back of a yoga studio with no windows. And so it really built like the energy really would build, uh, could build up in it in interesting ways. And I would, I've always used metaphor with my clients, but when I started really, um, describing things like, oh, it's like there's this woman, an older woman, and she's in a pink suit and she's got a pink orchid on her lapel. And, you know, this particular client said, Melanie, you just described my grandmother and the outfit we buried her in. And I didn't know I was seeing dead people on the movie screen <laughs> inside of my head, you know, or that's not a, uh, you know, but I thought that was kind of fun that I could, you know, like, oh, like, you know, there's a whole another skill level there, but it was also very disconcerting. And how do I reconcile that with my more conventional skills and my conventional practice? And so, uh, and my life started to fall apart. The, and it was just, it was so much like putting, I was clearly shoving a square peg into a round hole and something needed to shift. And so I slowed down some and I did a bunch of reading. And one of the books I read was Graham Hancock's Fingerprints of the Gods. Oh my God, it's such a good book. Such a good book. Yeah. And in it, he talks about how mythology was a mode of scientific writing. Mm -hmm. And that was a new concept to me at the time. So for example, many of the numbers of the Earth's processional cycle are in the myth of Isis and Osiris. Mm -hmm. And so the story was a way they communicated the cosmology. Yes. And so that led me in two directions. My PT brain was like, oh, well, the Earth's at a 23 and a half degree tilt. What's 23 and a half degrees from the midline of the body? And the opening where your vagus nerve exits the skull and you have one on the right and one on the left is 23 and a half degrees from the center of where the spinal cord exits. Oh my. And there's 47 degrees between the pole stars that our earth points towards over thousands of years and normal rotation between our first and second cervical vertebrae, our atlas and our axis is 47 degrees to each side. That's fascinating. And our anterior cruciate ligaments sit in the knee at a 47 degree angle of inclination and normal rotation at the foot is 23 degrees, you know, and these are average angles. There's always, you know, some variation, but that's the, you know, but there's research that shows that, you know, these are the average angles. And so, you know, and certainly I, you know, from, I can pull out 30 and 180 and other, you know, like your shoulder has a hundred and you have 180 degrees of flexion and there's, you know, there's, so there's all these numbers that really go that you could, uh, that match 
numbers like 360 and 72, like the average carrying angle at the, uh, the carrying angle at the elbow is 72 degrees. Mm -hmm. And so there's all of these angles that match the processional cycle of the earth. And what I've put together, right, and I will tell you just through experience, but I've have a little more organized, have it into a more organized form now, is that the less aligned you are at those angles or the further off you are, the less like you are likely you are to feel well. Totally. Yeah. That makes sense. And, so, and the second way that that really showed up for me was in, uh, I did a free, this is maybe six or seven years ago. I did a free online stress management class and I ended up talking a lot about the ventricles of the brain and the ventricles in the brain make cerebral spinal fluid. And I've, this has been my favorite picture of anything anatomical ever for the 20 plus years I've owned this set of anatomy books. It's a Sabota anatomy. And there's an image that's a compilation of MRI images to give you a 3D picture of what the ventricles look like. And after I did this class, I thought, oh, I'll go, I'll just stamp a picture of it and stick it on my social media. And when I opened the book, I, it was the first time I had opened the book since I had been studying astrology from myself. And the ventricles in the brain looked just like the ram's horns for Aries. And in astrology, Aries rules the head. And so then I was like, well, where's the rest of it? If that's the, uh, you know, cause I was in this mindset already about how mythology was a mode of talking about science. And as a stress management expert, like this just opened up. So it, it just like, it was like having like all of the pieces started to come together in like in a way that they just never had before. The way your hyoid bone sits on top of your larynx looks just like the symbol for Taurus and Taurus rules the throat. And your aortic arch is the same shape as the symbol for Leo and Leo rules the heart. And it works this way the whole way through the body. Libra, the sign of the scales rules the kidneys and your kidneys sit in your low back like a set of scales. Wow. And a woman's reproductive system looks very much like a scorpion and Scorpio rules the reproductive system where the vagina is the tail, the uterus is the body and the ovaries are the claws. Your Aquarius rules the calves and your calves are shaped like a water vessel. Pisces rules the feet and your feet are like your flippers, your two fish. <laughs> so it really just like, it works the whole way through the body with the, uh, the symbol and the sigil and so I've used the story, one, to really help people with those spiritual and stress-related underpinnings of the physical dysfunction. And as humans, you can, there's a whole science to this too, because as humans, we respond to stress more than we respond to, or we respond to story more than we respond to process. Like you can't logic yourself out of pain or out of a chronic condition because the difference between acute subacute pain and chronic pain is that chronic pain gets stuck into your limbic system where your emotions are and you need an emotional key to get it out of there. Mm -hmm. And logic isn't going to do it because logic isn't logic isn't going to do it. Right. Process. You need to engage your right hemisphere. Absolutely. And story, the neuroscience of stories that it gives us a dopamine release and it gives us oxytocin release. It makes us feel more connected. And so you get all the really good feel good, 
hormones and the, the leading pain science experts will tell you that they love it when people cry or get angry when they explain pain to them because they know they're going to get better. It's the people yeah. with a flat affect that they worry about when and they're holding I've been it all really inside. Good, they're holding it all inside. Right. And so, and I've been really good at making people cry for years and every now <laughs> and then people get, you know, and it's the, cause people often, when they start crying they start apologizing, oh, don't cry. Like I'm really good. <laughs> this happens to me all the time yeah. <laughs> that, you know, people will start crying and you do have to let those emotions move. And one of my favorite reactions, it hasn't happened quite as often uh, after a session. And like, I treat people both in person online and online, but uh, I, I suppose I've had this experience a little more with the in-person clients where they, they sit up at the table and they're a little confused at first because their pain's gone and they can't figure out you know, like, where did it go? Cause it seemed it was too easy to like, I've, you know, they've been struggling so long with it, that it was just too easy to, you know, that like a, they're confused at where it went and then they get angry because nobody else figured this out sooner. Like, why isn't, you know, why was this? So why was it so easy for you to solve this problem? And I spent months or years because they're completely Without. ignoring half of the issue, right? Like this is part right. of, of the society we live in is an is a emotionally repressed society. Like your emotions aren't real. Don't pay attention to those. It's just half of who you are, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and, and I've, my own story of healing has everything to do with getting in touch with my emotions and, and no longer repressing them. And what's really exciting and, and why I was really excited to talk to you about this is that these stories, these archetypal religious stories, just like you're saying, in, in my opinion, are all sort of ways that the right brain is telling the left about itself you know, and, and about the body. Like we have these archetypal stories, like you're saying with astrology, these, it's the brain mm -hmm. and the body telling you about you and about the patterns. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, I, I think the only rule we ever follow is as above, so below. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned this just very organically over the years in working primarily with complicated chronic pain patients and others that just hadn't found su success for their mm -hmm. situations, that whatever was happening inside of their body was playing out externally in their business, mm -hmm. in their personal life. And, you know, that there was clearly this relationship for what was happening. And my superpower is really helping people with those spiritual underpinnings of the physical dysfunction. That's what I love and what I was good at even before I realized what I was good at. Uh, well, I you feel know, like in terms of the, connecting to that story. One of the things that both, both physically and that happens to you physically and emotionally and mentally when you go through a spiritual awakening is that you realize that you are the cause of your own life in every way. That life isn't something that's happening to you. It's something that you're doing. And going Absolutely. from from that from one mentality to the next is a, a shift in consciousness. It's a total shift in awareness. You become aware that you are the cause of everything that's happening in your own life. That's not to say that things don't happen to you. They do, but the situations you find yourself in, the the entirety of your external experience has everything to do with your internal experience. Well, and that's a lot of power. Like we're all really happy to take credit for all the good stuff that happens. Right. But it's the to negative us. stuff and the bad stuff. That, the negative that, stuff. That's empowering right. when you realize that these things aren't just happening to you, that you're playing a major role in how your life plays out and what does happen to you. That's empowerment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 
know, when you can see your trauma and your hardships and challenges as initiations over victimizations. Yes. That's really then opens up the transformation. Yeah. Like that's, you know, that you, uh, you know, part of my, I, I was a master of repressed emotions. You know, it wasn't safe to have emotions in my house growing up. And my, I was a Navy wife for 20 years. So I was great at suppressing emotions while my husband had this crazy schedule, was gone all the time, moving all over the world. And, uh, but a big part of my childhood trauma is around lost voice and not being able to have a voice and specifically being able to, uh, being asked to not sing in the choir to like, or to, to show up at the choir and then be told to mouth the words, especially when we had an important, you know, quote unquote, important, uh, performance such as if we were doing a musical or I grew up outside of Washington DC so we sang at this Kennedy Center as well and the you know and so like now to be working with the nerve that innervates your vocal cords and you know and finding my own voice and my own truth and really um learning not to um I don't even want to say learning not to separate, but learning that my technical side and my spiritual side work, they make each other better. They don't compete. Yes, absolutely. They, they enhance each other. It's when you, when you really get, so there's so many different ways to explain this. One way is to say your thoughts, your feelings, and your beliefs. Another would be to say your right hemisphere, your left hemisphere, mm-hmm. and the corpus callosum and brainstem structure. Mm-hmm. You get this. There's so many different versions of this holy trinity. <laughs> there's one in every, every oh. sense of spirituality. And when you get the three into alignment with each other, now you're creating magic. Now you can move mountains. Absolutely. Well, and I'll give you like a, like, yes, we are absolutely made at trinity. Like embryologically, we come from an endoderm, a mesoderm, and an ectoderm our nerves and our arteries and muscles like all have fundamentally three layers to them and so this trinity is is huge and i think when we think about you know we for all the talk that there's about living in a polarized or a duality and a piece that like if you have a north pole and a south pole you're the third piece is your electromagnetic field. Like everything happens in Trinity. We live on the third planet from the sun. Like it literally all happens in Trinity. And the process of what, you know, you hear this phrase all the time, becoming the observer is, is stepping into that third piece and getting out of duality consciousness and realizing not, not just unity, but that there is a third position and observing life from the third position. Absolutely. And, you know, and then I think even, you know, in the way that cross is very prevalent, like in different religions, you know, certainly in Christianity, but that, you know, we have the cardinal directions and in Egyptian creation mythology, one of the earliest descriptions of what I think is the, they're referring to as the cardinal directions are knowledge, it's knowledge, wisdom, magic, and truth. And we value knowledge, wisdom, and magic really highly. We don't value, or knowledge, wisdom, and truth. We don't value magic collectively not as much we're definitely i think going to grow into it we're you know nikola tesla was famous for saying that when science starts to to, um 
study non-physical phenomena, it'll make more progress. And I think he said 10 years and it had all its previous. Oh, whatever. it's, it's the, it's the acknowledgement and the study of non-physical things. It's going to like, Oh, that's what magic is. Okay. Now we get it. It's conscious. Right. It's conscious. Well, in its field, like I would call it field therapy. Like it's yeah. treating like my vagus nerve exercise. I know this when I first created them because it was more of a download that this this is just what it is, what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. But now I understand I am treating, I'm engaging in the electromagnetic field. I'm engaging yes. the toroidal field. And that's why the exercise works so well. Because that's where the story is held. That's where the information Absolutely. is held. It's, it's, an, it's an electromagnetic field, but we're now we're coming into the understanding that it also carries information. That's how I'm able to read tarot. I mean, look, I could explain how I'm able to read tarot a thousand different ways, right? And they're all correct. It's just a different, it, they're all the same thing, just different ways of saying what's going on. But one of the ways you could explain it to a rather left-brain person is that my toroidal field is interacting with yours and they are sharing mm-hmm. information and that information is coming through the cards. Absolutely. And well, and there's research to support that we perceive other people's emotions through our toroidal fields like there's there's information you know there's research to support that and so and for all of the really amazing brain science research and i think it's great like we should you know that your brain by the time your brain has reacted to it it's already come through Mm -hmm. your field and it's come through your vagus nerve it's come through your senses Mm -hmm. and when, you know, and brain input basically equals brain output. I don't disagree with that statement. You know, that's a very, you know, fundamental tenet of neuroscience. But if you can give your brain, if you can create your input, make your input pathways better, then you get better output. Yeah, and you're not so stuck, sense. so stuck in your story. So like if your vagus nerve has the mechanical freedom to take better information to your brain, which is the vast majority of its function. It's got motor function for sure, because it innervates your vocal cords, your heart, and your digestive system. So it's literally your gut brain, your heart brain, mm-hmm. and your voice. Mm-hmm. But it has a lot of, aff- it's primarily afferent, which means that it takes information from your body up to your brain. And if you can, like if we get stuck really where we have horizontal structures in the body, like the pelvic floor, the diaphragm, uh, vocal cords, base of the skull. For me, there are six major compression points that go with this. And like the di- diaphragm is an easy place like a, and really relevant one to work with. In all humans, the right side of our diaphragm has more muscle mass than the left. So theoretically, the right side will always win. And your vagus nerve goes to, travels down with your esophagus through your diaphragm. So if you have a lot of pull on that right side of your diaphragm, it can cause vagus nerve compression as it's, oh. the nerve is going through the diaphragm. And what would cause that? Well, so, so we there is an epidemic of right diaphragm dominance. It's a very, very common pattern. It probably has to do somewhat with the uh, reason because every, most people are right-handed and we don't live in a more agricultural hunter-gatherer that would force us to be more ambidextrous mm-hmm. in certain ways. But in a bigger, um, in the bigger picture, the root of any problem to me, whether it's a physical pain, a disease, or a limiting belief, a mindset issue, 
is resisting your own expansion in our ever expanding universe. Yes. Yeah. And insistence when, and resistance are two Absolutely. Things. And so when we're locked, when we are locked down on the right side, realize that the solar, the earth below us and the solar system above us are spinning in the opposite direction. So we're literally resisting our alignment on this fractal scale. That's very interesting. It's the same way we resist our emotions. Absolutely. Well, and I think emotions can't move when you, these horizontal systems are, are locked up. The, like nobody experiences stress or trauma and has really great arm walk. Hmm. We all lock up and kind of freeze, you know, yeah, through our trunks. Hold, like no- we hold our, our tensions and our stresses and our, our traumas in our body. I, I know that I can tell definitely that I do. When I get stressed out, there's a very specific place in my back that starts to hurt immediately. It's the same place every yeah. time. Absolutely. And so when, you know, and this is very consistent with the concept of chi moving through the body yes. too. But, and so these six compression points, primary ones that I use are really almost like a, you know, you can look at them like a hexagram too mm-hmm. in the, in the body, you know, like an I Ching thing, but if you can't, but they damn the flow of everything that goes vertically in the body. And it's, and I contextualize a lot of this around the vagus nerve, mm-hmm. but it's also damming up your arterial flow, your venous flow, your lymphatic flow and your chi flow. Mm-hmm. And all these things are connected, right? And that's one of the, another lesson, um, you know, when you, when you start to expand your consciousness and having a spiritual awakening, one of the first realizations you come to is that everything is connected. There's no separation, especially within your own body. It's, it's crazy to me to think that anything is happening with your own body that isn't affecting everything else about your body. Absolutely. But we're not, you know, we individually and collectively have what I call an Osiris wound. So in the Egyptian myth of Isis and Osiris, Osiris was the king of Egypt and his wife was Isis mm-hmm. and his brother Set wanted to be king. He was jealous and angry and wanted to be king. And so he tricked Osiris into laying down in a bejeweled coffin, had his 72 soldiers shut the lid, nail it and carry him to the Nile river to his death. Isis retrieved his body, took him to a cave and brought him back to life. When Set found out about this, he was furious. And so he tracked down Osiris and chopped his body into pieces and scattered them down the Nile River. Isis found all of those pieces, except for his phallus. And for that, she made him a new one. And back at the cave, she brought him back to life long enough to conceive their divine child, Horus. Mm -hmm. And then Osiris went on to be king of the underworld, which for the Egyptians was where all life came from and all treasures were found. And we use dismemberment metaphors in our language all the time. We say our, we can't get it together. We're falling apart. Our hearts are broken. Our lives are shattered. We'd give our left arm for something that we really Mm -hmm. desire. And so we're all, but everybody in that, so you can imagine being in that story of Isis and Osiris, everybody probably thought Osiris's destiny was to be the king of Egypt, but his true destiny was to be the king of the underworld. And he literally had to come apart to come together in a new way mm-hmm. you know and that's we that's a very relatable story that's the proverbial midlife crisis <laughs> that's yeah. you know that's what trauma is is coming apart because you can't be the same person that you were after you've had 
a trauma. It opens the door to a completely different destiny mm-hmm. and one that you was always your destiny, but that you were blind to before. And on a bigger scale, just because I come out of the medical system, medicine has a terrible Osiris wound where it's all chopped into pieces and one part is not talking to the other. And very few people within the medical profession are good at looking at you as a whole person. Mm -hmm. And medicine really needs ISIS to show up and put it back you know, remember yeah. it in that new way to go so you can, can go find its true destiny. Yeah, I have. So I have an interesting hypothesis. I mean, I think it's interesting and I, I don't think I'm the first person to, um, to come up with this. I'm sure I'm not. But when I think of the Set and Osiris story, I think of this sort of story that, that's laid out in a lot of religions and it's the idea of the fall of man. And if you're, I don't know if you're familiar with Junvalo Melchizedek's work on sacred geometry. Um, but in his his yeah. first book, he talks about the fall of man being a transition, um, summarizing here, from being a right brain dominant species to a left brain dominant species. And I think that that is kind of what's playing out in the story of Set and Osiris is, is Set being the, the war god, the, the, the masculine patriarchal god, and Osiris being the, the right brain sort of lord of, of magic. We could also relate this to the Sumerian story of Enlil and Enki. And Lil being set, yeah. being Osiris. And I think that they're in, in a lot of ways, like I said, the body is trying to tell you about itself. It's telling you about the transition from a right brain dominant being to a left brain dominant being. And the left brain being where the speech center is and the logical center and, and where we our science and mathematics come from, and the right brain being the, the more feminine, creative, um, more plugged into source and to the underworld part oh, of absolutely. ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And the, our, uh, well, there's, so I have two things to say about that. There's a really fantastic book that is uh, by Peter Kingsley called A Story Waiting to Pierce You. And it's the story of how shamanism came from Siberia to ancient Egypt and to Pythagoras in particular. Mm-hmm. And it's about, it's like an 85 page book with 85 pages of footnotes because it's rooted in historical evidence Mm -hmm. and it's uh very much along those you know um lines but talks about how um like we're here for ecstatic creation and there's you know but it's really that you know somewhere in like approaching ancient greece is where we kind of lost you know we sort of made that jump from the more right brain i think to the more left brain thing and it's such an interesting uh thing because our verbal pathways in our body operate at about 42 or 40,000 bits per second something like that and our nonverbal pathways operate at 11 million bits per second mm-hmm. so when we take in information through logic and words it is so much slower than when we take in information through our intuition and our spiritual connections yeah and my my thought about that is is um sort of the difference between binary and quantum computing uh binary ones and zeros has a need to separate everything out whereas quantum is everything all at once yeah when you're taking in information i mean verbal verbal communication is linear it has to be taken in in a linear fashion but nonverbal communication that includes images, sounds, and, and all these different stimuli can encode information into you uh, almost instantaneously. 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, in so many creation mythologies, like in, in the beginning, it started with the word that in the beginning, there was the word that the, you know, reality, you know, our universe was spoken into creation and sound is so incredibly mm-hmm. powerful and, you know, and certainly sound healing is getting a lot of traction in different ways, but I even binaural beats every single day. Yeah. Even like linguistically, like our, like, I love looking at, uh, Hebrew, like in Hebrew, because in, because every Hebrew letter has a numerical value Mm -hmm. too. And Hebrew is structured very much like a code where like their word for pregnancy adds up to 270 and a normal pregnancy is about 270 days. Whoa. That's interesting. And their word for water is shaped like a water molecule. That's written out and so there's all of the, you know so it's it's very uh, and beyond that their words for color and frequency mathematically correspond to the color and f- frequency of uh to the frequencies of color and time in hertz wow i've heard um i think i was listening to bashar talk and he was saying that the hebrew language is based on sacred geometry and that's why it has these properties because it is a code it's a code based mm-hmm. on it's a language created from numerology and sacred geometry and the combination of those two things coming up in these sacred forms that are the Hebrew letters that have an incredible amount of information encoded into each and every one of them. Same thing with. Yeah. Well, the thing is that you can really, you leverage these sounds very specifically for healing. Like for example, uh, Yom is the Hebrew word for day. And so we take in our, light dark cycles through our heads, mm-hmm. you know, through our eyes, perceiving light and dark. And when uh, people have cranial dysfunction or like where I might do craniosacral work, like especially, and I usually, I usually do it this way more in a group setting, but sometimes I'll do it individually too, that like you can have them chant the word young a few times and it normalizes their cranial mechanics. Yeah, let me read something to you that you might find interesting. If I can find it here. There it is. This is from the interpret the um Initiated Interpretation into Ceremonial Magic by Aleister Crowley. Sorry, just I'll find it in just so <clears throat> the spirits of the Goetia are portions of the human brain. Their seals therefore represent methods of stimulating or regulating those particular spots through the eye. The names of God are vibrations calculated to establish A, general control of the brain, B, control over the brain in detail, and C, control over one special portion. Hmm. And uh, I need to, to look more into it, but these, um, but the Somal, the lesser key of Solomon and these Hebrew letters might, I mean, they really might be talking about the exact same thing here. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, like the, well, and I think this is why so many people like chanting in Sanskrit, for example. You know, I think Sanskrit is structured probably very much the same way, even if, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if we have the numerical values for Sanskrit, but it's, 
but I'm sure vibrationally is quite similar. They're probably out there. Yeah. There's just so much, yeah. it's, it's so frustrating that you can, you can read and read and read and research all day. And there's always <laughs> so much more you want to know. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I know. I've been like, I've had to really, you know, now that I, I feel at this point, I'm, I'm very clear on what my brand is and what I'm bringing forward. And so, um, you know, my vision is definitely to bring in collaborators so that, uh, for as much as I'd like to know everything, you know, that the reality is that no, uh, you've, you've really got to, it's not going to happen. Hone in on what your <laughs> slice of the pizza is and then find the people yeah. that complete your pizza. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and when we, you know, when I talk about the vagus nerve compression points too, going back to your, uh, you said something earlier about a fire hose or like the f- flow of, um, you know, information, like when those mm-hmm. horizontal structures are compressed, it is like, it's like putting information through a coffee straw. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to shove you know, a compared to a fire a hose. You, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and so we get a very distorted perception of our stories mm-hmm. and we get a very distorted perception of reality. And, and back to, this is something I was excited to talk about, um, stories. Now, any neuroscientist would, would kind of tell you, you live inside the story that the brain tells itself, right? That's mm-hmm. something you've heard. Now, if your story sucks, and if you're telling yourself a terrible story that's, that's full of tragedy, I mean, you're going to experience that. And that's so, so I know that you work with people in, in healing their stories, right. And helping mm-hmm. them and heal the story to heal the body. That seems revolutionary to me. <laughs> well, so, well, thank you. I think yeah. it is. And the, but that's, so the story, we all have a physical expression of our internal narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And an internal expression of our physical narrative. Like we know through research that posture changes our hormones. And when you stand like your favorite superhero for two minutes, you get higher testosterone and lower cortisol levels. I've heard that. I've never put it into practice. I've heard that several times. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And you know, and we, we, we read people's movement and posture all the time, you know, to make, to infer how they're feeling or what's going on, on with them. And but in the way that, so I've taken this way that the cosmos is coded into us where we have, you know, the ventricles look like the ram's horns for Aries. And like, we literally have a ram living in our heads. Mm-hmm. And if your ram's horns are wonky, you're going to have some kind of head issue, whether that's a perceptual issue of, you know, and being able to see something literally or metaphorically or that you're uh could show it physically as headaches and neck pain and things like that as well so treating the um so you know fundamentally treating to me treating story is treating the expression of these of the cosmos in your body because we've named these constants and given them archetypal and our names, the research shows that our names influence the shape of our face, faces, especially around our eyes. Mm-hmm. And so naming is incredibly powerful. And because we've named this, it's going to have an influence on you, whether you believe in it or not. And, and understanding what beliefs are. People have, don't, people have a general misunderstanding of what beliefs are because your beliefs are your, the basic operating system of your computer. 
right? Your beliefs are how you program yourself and, and you will experience mm-hmm. your beliefs because they're subconscious and they're going to re- express themselves through everything you do and notice and what your likes and dislikes are. Uh, my likes and dislikes have changed drastically since my spiritual awakening. Uh, I can't, now don't get me wrong. I still love Metallica, but I ain't going to listen to it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, they're great. Right? Like, I, I used to love heavy metal so much. And now I listen mostly to meditation music because like, you start to realize the effect that life isn't something that's happening to you. It's something you're participating in and engaging with. And it's how you build yourself. Now, again, I'm not telling anybody not to listen to any, listen to what you love. But for me, it changed. When I changed my sure, story, right. I changed my, my likes and dislikes and the things that I notice about life. Absolutely. Well, and that's what expansion is. Yeah. You know, that's uh, what evolution is. <laughs> yeah. And, and these, and so these archetypal stories of ancient Egypt and ancient Greece and, and, and from all over the world there, I feel like you're bringing back what they were doing, which is treating the body through the stories that we tell you're treating the information field. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can really take, you know, th- th- this system is easiest to understand through Western astrology but it works across every time i delve into another cultural mythology it it works well one of my one of my favorite um ways of of kind of going about talking about this is is pointing out a that like i said i read you that passage from um alistair crowley that was written in the the i think 1894 right it's very very old Mm -hmm. right and so a modern sort of idea of this is the um, the rep, the good ET, bad ET narrative. That's um, you know, a, it's it's a it's a, it's a real it's a modern mythology um, regarding reptilian aliens and aliens from from different places in the galaxy. But I mm-hmm. and that's not to say that this isn't a, a real thing that's happening. As I'm, I fully believe in aliens. But I think it's interesting that it's also telling the story of transcending the reptilian mind, of moving absolutely up in the neocortex from the reptilian it brain. Is into the higher mammalian brain Absolutely. and that's that in which create that would be a shift in consciousness i mean that's the story yeah. that's that i hear when i when i listen to that particular no episode. that's yeah i completely i completely agree i haven't i hadn't thought of it ex- exactly those terms before but yeah absolutely i can i mean we live these stories at like in an incredible detail like in you know even for me um one of the ways one of the many ways the Isis Osiris story has showed up in my life is so Isis and Osiris were also brother and sister as well as husband and wife. And my husband had the same birthday. Your husband and you had the same birthday? Birthday. Yeah. He's a year older than me, but we were born on the same day. And so like, we literally play these stories out in our lives on, um, you know, in glaring detail. Yeah. We really do. I mean, everything that you experience as an exterior world is a hallucination created by your brain. Everything. I mean, it's, it's not to say that the world isn't real. The world is real. But your experience of it has to be first interpreted through your, your uh, information field and then through your bodily senses, through your eyes, through your ears, and then into your brain. And then your brain constructs a holographic hallucination that's Mm -hmm. a representation of the quantum field that you actually exist in so the entire cosmos the entire outer world in which we exist is very in a very little literal way a mirror of your internal world that they're connected in that as above so below that 
they're in a relationship oh, with is. each other and that relationship is what creates your experience of reality. Absolutely. And when you transform the, you know, when you treat somebody's physical structure, sometimes their story will change, but when you treat their story, their physical structure always changes. So my, my point of view about it is that mental health is what we consider mental health. We're using the wrong term because it's, it's really spiritual health. Because Absolutely. you're talking, talking about the non-physical. When you say mental health, and this is how mental health is treated in a lot of cases, it's treated as a physical thing, right? Like here's here's some pills that'll change the, the chemicals in your brain and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. That, uh, please don't get me wrong. Um, for a period of time, being on antidepressants was very helpful to me. And then they turned on me. And this is what happens to a lot of people. The medications that you're on that are helping you, it's like they just turn around and they start hurting you after a couple of years. And that happened to me in a really hard way. Um, and I've really started to realize that, you know, it's just, it's your, your body health, your, your mental health and your spiritual health are also uh, related to each other. You can't have, you can't have total body health if you have poor mental and spiritual health. And you can't have total spiritual health if you have poor mental and body health. Absolutely. And I would say your physiology, like those biochemical responses are, the result of your story and your structure mm-hmm. together that your story and your structure drives your physiology. Yeah. And that treating the, treating the physiology is like treating the symptom, not treating the, mm-hmm. not treating the, the problem cause, right? Not trying to- with it that when you can change the structure of the body, both physical and energetic so that it, you know, opens up the pathway to a different story, then you're going to get a different physiological output. You know, the, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's essentially what the story is that structure plus story equals physiology. And so if you work on your structure and your story, you will change the output. And that's, that's why meditation is so important because when you meditate, your, your brain will start doing these things automatically on its own. Um, mm-hmm. if you're able to go into a deep state of meditation and meditation from what i understand has an electrical stimulation effect on the vagus nerve and that's the, the physical sensation that you start to get of, of your chakras opening and and kundalini energy for example these things happen during meditation because meditation stimulates that nerve absolutely i yeah the research on the benefits of vagus nerve for uh with meditation and mindfulness are absolutely positive. My experience is that it can be challenging to meditate or mindfulness yourself out of a pinched vagus nerve. Like if you've really got some mechanical compression going on. And so the, I find that the exercises that I give people for this. And I have them. If people go to my website, melanieweller.com and sign up for the email list, there's, it'll email you a free vagus nerve decompression course. And cool. that you can like self-assess and, and self-treat that it amplify, you get this, um, you get a much faster response, you know, that you don't like, we don't have to be, um, oh, now, now the, uh, the name of the myth is um, slipped my mind. It's the uh, pushing the boulder up the hill. Oh God, I know, <laughs> what you, the, I know exactly what you're talking about. But, <laughs> but the, um, um, 
but you know, but like we, like we do, we just often take the path of most resistance or like, we're not like, we can make this so much easier and create some flow so that you don't have to always be going through this uphill battle. When I experience resistance to meditation, I'm all, I'm like, all right, so where is the block, mm-hmm. you know, in, in my own system? And then how do I get out of the way so that, you know, or get the restriction out of the way so that I can get into that deeper state more easily. But I think absolutely playing this game of how easy can we make it is so incredibly valuable because I, um, you know, and we're all incredibly slow learners, like, and that's kind of, you know, like, and so we all have to have a lot of self-compassion for ourselves in that. Yeah, and, and to get out of these, the, the typical um, thought patterns, because I know a lot of people who have a um, path of most resistance mindset. You know, it's, it's like, you got to have three jobs. You got to grind. You got to be constantly mm-hmm. stressed out or you're not going to be successful. That's yeah. not true. It's not true at all. In fact, living that way destroyed my life. Working two jobs or, or you know, as a chef, working just 80 hours a week, uh, constantly being stressed out, constantly trying to fix everything around you. It's not, a, it's not an enjoyable life and you're not going to be successful that way. If you, if you do end up successful that way, it's, you know, you're doing something else that maybe you're unaware of as well. Because keeping yourself in a constant state of stress and anxiety and physical exhaustion is not the path to uh, success and happiness. It's just not. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's for I mean, I was programmed that being harder was going to be get me better results. And, you know, part of the reason I started my own practice is because my, I, I got tired of seeing 16 and 18, 20 people in 14 slots in my yeah. schedule. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was not sustainable for me to, to do that. And my, I have a strong enough hermit archetype that I need time alone. I can't be surrounded by people all day long, mm-hmm. every day. Like I've got to have that, like some good balance in that. And, and patients all day long and then family all evening was way too many people for me. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's too much. It's, so, it's so. Self-care is so important. And, and the, so that's another thing you could say that's, that's coming and is happening now is the expansion of the science of self-care and the importance of self-care is way understated in, in um, our kind of everyday culture. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, so many are, have been programmed that self-care is selfish. And the thing is, when you do your, uh, when you work on yourself, the world shifts around you. Yes. And amazing doors open. And even um, the story I usually tell around this is when my youngest son was about eight or so, he was a little bit slower to be fluently reading than his peers were. And so he was getting some support in school and then he labeled himself a bad reader and then he didn't want to read. And it was this whole mm-hmm. thing that we didn't want it to be at that point. Yeah. And I had made a major breakthrough with the life coach that I was working with at the time. And literally like four hours later, he comes up to me and says, mom, I think I'd like to write a book. <laughs> and I was like, great. I'll set you up on the computer. Awesome. <laughs> and, you know, and he spent a few months writing short stories and books 
you know, or like what he thought, you know, but he really learned that totally accelerated his uh, ability to read Mm -hmm. from what it was. And it's like, I got my past out from in front of, you know, cleared the path in front of me and it gave him space to expand that he hadn't had because I was taking up too much space with my own garbage. (laughs) And, you know, and I've seen that over and over. And so if you pay attention to it, it's there, but we don't always, you know, it's just not a thing that we have a, a language or like really a wiring for, you know, we're just not always attending to it. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's so subtle, you know, and, and it's working with the, the subtle energies and shifts of consciousness and becoming aware of them, becoming more aware, right? The expansion of consciousness is the expansion of your own awareness to include not only yourself, but, but everything that's a part mm-hmm. of your world. Cause we are each very much a universe unto ourselves and those universes interact with each other. But the universe Absolutely. that I exist in is created entirely by my brain. And the universe that you exist in is created entirely by your brain. The version of you that I'm experiencing right now through this Zoom call is a hallucination created by my brain. And the version of me that you're experiencing right now is the same. Um, so mm-hmm. when, we, when you can really see that and make effects, true internal changes to yourself, then you know beyond any shadow of a doubt, and, and just through the mechanisms of how the universe works, that by changing yourself, you change the universe. Absolutely. Yeah. If, um, one of my favorite books is The Holographic Universe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if you think about like in a holographic system, each part contains the whole. And that's really, you know, like, I mean, even when you talk astrologically about, you know, Aries in the head and Taurus ruling the throat and things like that, you're really that's still too small for how it really works. Like it's a good, you know, it's helpful to understand the parts because it does help you understand the whole. It helps you start to discern the patterns of the universe, astrology, numerology, all these practices. They start to, that's not the complete picture, man. It's just a very basic map of the patterns and how they play out and how they're always playing out together. But there's so much more past that. Absolutely. Well, and even when you dig into the rulership, you know, that even with Aries ruling the head, that you've got Mercury ruling the nervous system and Uranus ruling the electrical signal and Pisces rules the um, the fluid in the eyes and things like that, you know, and so like you've got every, you know, you start to really get every sign at every layer that each part of your body is its own, each chakra is its own little, uh, is its own universe with its own you know, maybe the planetary arrangements is, is a little bit different with some of us. But I do find that when you get those fundamental pieces, you know, with the rulerships in place, that it's sort of like this framework on which your soul hangs itself. And if you get the Aries right in your head and the Taurus right in your throat and the Leo right in your heart and the Gemini right in your lungs and the cancer right in your breast and stomach and Virgo right in your intestines and so on, that then your own personal arrangement has a much more stable structure on which to hang itself. Yeah. It's in harmony rather than totally. Very much in harmony. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't like, that's always where I start with people and, you know, and then maybe like I'll need to tweak their personal astrology. But if you get that fundamental structure in place, the personal stuff just goes, thank you. I don't have to work so hard to be who I am because it's got that support. Right. 
Right. And, and understanding these concepts really helps you let go of a lot of the things that people are hanging on to, right? Like when you understand your life path number, for example, when you under, when you really understand your rising sign or uh, Chiron or your North node, then you, and, and take another step back and just go back to when you start to discern these patterns and the reasons you stop wondering why about everything. And you just point to me, like, that's why I know why because I understand, I see the patterns and how the universe works. Mm -hmm. And so I know the why, and I'm no longer obsessing about it. And that obsession with why do I hurt? Why does this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? And so on and so forth. You can just be like, oh, okay, let it go. <laughs> but it gives you learn something too. I had years of nephritis and Achilles tendonitis that I was really trying to sort out what my path and purpose, you know, the path and purpose issues it was telling me because it was my feet. And it was, and it happened at a point, point when I was completely changing my practice from being more traditional to more alternative into being under the radar to being more visible. And so that came with some growing pains. And I had really been working on stillness for myself and stillness in my, uh, in the gene keys system, which is another astrology based system. Uh, stillness is the highest expression of, uh, the bottom part of that chart, which for me, I would put with the feet. I use it like I would overlay it on the body and put that with the feet. So I'd really been thinking about stillness with my feet and meditating on that. And then I broke my foot <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess I haven't been still enough. <laughs> like now I really have to be still. And to, and when I went to the, uh, to urgent care to get an x-ray, cause initially I was like, oh, it's not, it's not broken. It's like, you know, I was like tapped into my body and I was like, is it broken? And my body was like, no, it's not broken. And then like an hour later, I was like, all right, Melanie, if you were looking at yourself, what would you say? And you'd say, mm -hmm. go get an x-ray. <laughs> this isn't right. <laughs> and so the, and the doctor that, saw me she said melanie you're the happiest person with a fracture that we've ever seen and i said well thank you it means i'm at least doing my vagus nerve work <laughs> i've got you know this under stress and i had very little pain in the recovery and seeing you know like literally the first thought i had when i fell when i was still in shock was i have not been still enough <laughs> you know that it was you know and giving it that purpose i think really made the recovery virtually pain-free yeah, and, and also having that understanding that things happen in your serial world as a result of, of the imbalances in your internal world. So you're like, you're saying, I'm not being still enough. And then the universe says, well, I'm going to fix that for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and on the other side of it, I had, like, I've had a number of past life readings that included foot binding, Chinese foot binding and being a sex worker and having my Achilles tendon cut so I couldn't run away again and all like crazy foot stuff in my readings. And in the way that bones hold, like bones, rocks and crystals hold our oldest memories, I actually think that that foot fracture allowed the release of some of those memories that were literally tripping me up oh, that's really cool <laughs> you know that it's that it served yeah. me and it just like the bone just had to break so that it could like i could move on yeah so the energy that that vibration that you're holding in that part of your body could be released absolutely and, and so it literally you know, was tripping you up that's funny it literally was tripping me up and i think that the 
story around, you know, and whether you have a past life reading, like the, the you know, story in there that needed to go. And I think that when you, you know, when something that seems negative or tragic happens to you, being able to ultimately see how it's serving you really just opens so many incredible doors and opportunities. And I know that, you know, that's not always a, or usually an overnight process for people. It takes a lot, you know, it takes some deep reflection and support to get there. But if, you know, if, if our first reaction to, to that, you know, to having something happen was, oh, this is happening for me versus to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that would change our physiological reactions to all of it. I, several years ago, I um, fell carrying, I, don't, I almost never see clients in their homes. They come to my office, but I made an exception and I went to go see somebody in their home and I was carrying my table into their house and I fell, tripped on their steps and I just landed down on my knee and I was like, oh, I guess my pelvis needed to be knocked back into place. But it totally, you know, rather than thinking, oh my gosh, now I have to schedule with my physical therapist and my massage therapist and like, who's going to fix me? You know, I was like, oh, I just needed, I guess something needed to be knocked back into place. And, you know, and I had a very minimal reaction to it. Yeah, it's a Afterwards. very it's a very shamanistic point of view, and it's one that I really enjoy. And it's when you when you see the exterior world as a reflection of your inter, internal world, then you see that it's always trying to feed you information. Mm-hmm. Every everything there's meaning in everything. I'm not trying to say you should go crazy thinking that every time you see the number thirty three that it's you know some crazy sign from the universe. Those things are real, but but there's always a purpose to everything that's going on around you. And if you can learn to see it that way, or just learn to experience, you know, have that experience. Like I I tell people all the time, you know, if something in your life doesn't work out the way you wanted to, it probably wasn't the right thing for you. Just let it go. Absolutely. Well, and there we go back to, you know, Osiris probably thought he was supposed to be the king of Egypt, but really he was supposed to be the king of the underworld. And that's, you know, I thought I was supposed to be a highly credentialed physical therapist. And I, so much more enjoy and feel my calling in showing up as a highly credentialed high priestess. Yeah. And thank God for that, because I think what you do, like I said, is revolutionary and fascinating and is going to be this type of, of healing work is going to have a major place in the, the coming world that we're moving into. Thank you. Thank you. I definitely, uh, that's, that's certainly my, my goal for it. And to, um, you know, and to take it even beyond, healing and medicine into uh because i think we like business our businesses and institutions have a really unique chance to design themselves in ways that keep us out of needing medical care in the first place that we can really uh use this to um for wellness in ways that uh I get make us organically healthier because so often what I find is that, um, or a question I ask people a lot is, is filling your cup draining you? Uh, and it's, you know, and it's not about what you're doing most of the time. It's about how you're being. And if you're going to be differently, you're going to make different choices and that'll be more supportive for you. And so it's. And you'll experience um, more optimal health as just a natural consequence. Yep. Yep. When I know when my crown is on straight and my boots are on right and my, yeah, you know, high priestess robe is fluffed up. 
<laughs> you know, things are, things are good. Yep. Things go. And I, then that's where I experience flow. Yes. And so, and I can, and I can stay in the flow of life versus getting yanked in and out of it. Cause that's, what's really stressful. Yeah. And being in you know, there's a couple of ways to talk about this, right? Flow state is a real thing. And, and you know, you, you talk a lot about flow state on your pages mm-hmm. I've noticed. Um, but to me, it also just means being in that place where you're in alignment with the universe and you are going with the flow and you're not resisting absolutely that happens to you. Absolutely. Very, flow it's is not a, just is, a state of mind. It's a state of being. Yes. Yeah. Now flow is, I think flow is a, is a cosmic term. I see it in a very cosmic way. Yeah. All right, Melanie. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much. Um, oh, thank you so much, Sandre. This is great. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll have to do it again. And I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to just following your work over the next several years and seeing where it goes and, and where, what types of, of stories are going to come out of, of this method of healing. Thank you. I am too. I'm excited. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Thank you.